one of our favorite places to eat is Chipotle. And last, I think it was last summer, Isabella and I went over to the Chipotle near Chesterfield Town Center and went in and placed our order for dinner, went through the, the line and selected all of our ingredients, and then we got up there to the cashier so that we could pay for our food. And as I, we got there, we paid for our food, and as I was standing there, I saw a young Chesterfield County police officer behind us in line, and he was going through choosing his ingredients and so forth. So I kind of looked at the cashier, and I said, excuse me, ma'am, but uh, I'm going to pay for the officer's meal, okay? And she said, okay. So we stood there and wait for just a minute, and the officer, you know, made his selections, and then he got up there, <coughs> and he tried to pay for his food. And I said, I said, officer, uh, this is on us, and we're going we're gonna to take care of your meal. We appreciate you. We appreciate what you all do for us. Thank you for your service. And, uh, and he, he just he was like, you don't have to do that. And, and we said, it's on us. We got it, and we, we just want you to know how much we appreciate this. And uh, so we took care uh, of, of the bill there. And while we were standing there, I glanced at his name badge, and I remembered his name. And when I got home, I wrote it down on a sticky note and put that sticky note in my devotional book so that I could remember to pray for the officer and the others he serves with and, and the officer's family. And, and I continue to do that. And what joy that brought me. And perhaps you've experienced something similar to that. You've been in a situation like that and were able to give in that way. Or someone did that for you and you just remember how meaningful that was and how joyful you felt. And that's how we felt that day. Isabel and I got in the car after we, we left Chipotle. And she said, she said, Dad, she said, why did you do that? And I said, I just felt uh, led to, to do that. And, uh, and she said, that was cool. Like, yes, Dad's cool. So anytime Dad can be cool, that's a bonus to what, whatever, whatever we're doing, you know. I hadn't thought about giving as cool, but I sure felt warm in my heart. It sure brought me joy. As a consumer culture dominated by ads that tell us that we'll be happier when we spend money on ourselves, we wonder, well, if that's true, then why are there so many people who have everything and all they could ever imagine, and yet they seem so unhappy and miserable? And we would quickly say that money and stuff does not bring happiness, contrary to what the consumer culture or consumer mindset tries to convince us to believe um, stuff and all that does not bring true satisfaction. We know that it can only be found in the Lord. Money does not bring happiness. What does bring happiness, though, or what, what is one thing that brings us happiness? When we can give it away. When we can make a difference in the life of someone else. And what is it about giving money away or things away or even our time and our abilities? What is it about giving that away that makes it happier than using it for ourselves. Perhaps it's because when we give to others, including our church, we see ourselves as more intimately involved in another person's life or 
in the life of our community of faith that we are truly making a difference, even though it might be a small difference. We can make a difference. We feel happy when we give to God's church because it makes us feel intimately involved in the ministries here. We sense some ownership in what happens in among and through our church family. And we feel that we're making a difference beyond our own local congregation, but rather making a difference in the world. And you might say, well, Pastor Bob, why are we talking about this today? It's the first Sunday of Lent. We just had the Ash Wednesday service. It's not budget time. Usually we hear you talk about things like this or we have uh, Sunday school lessons when we're involved in planning our church's ministry budget and we expect those kinds of things then. Isn't Lent supposed to be a time of spiritual discipline where we really focus on that, our spiritual renewal, repentance, prayer? In the Bible, people fasted and we are supposed to embrace all of that on this journey toward Easter. Lent, Pastor Bob, as you have said many times, marks the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness tempted by the devil. So what is so spiritual about our money? I'm glad you asked. What's going on as we study this passage from the ancient book of Deuteronomy today? Maybe the lectionary gives us a hint. As you know, the Revised Common Lectionary, or RCL, is a guide for Scripture, preaching and teaching and worship over the course of a three-year period. There's year A, B, and C. Each year has a different gospel focus, and year C is where we are now, and the focus is the Gospel of Luke. And John's Gospel is woven in all three. And over a period of several years, we would have preached and taught through most of the Bible. Not all, but most of the Bible. And the lectionary writers included Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 11 in today's series of scriptures for the first Sunday of Lent. So maybe there's a hint there. Maybe there is something spiritual, after all, about our money. If you were to look at my check register, remember the other week I talked about how I used to balance the paper check register and highlight it, and I was so proud that it was on the penny every month when it was reconciled. Or perhaps you use an online banking uh, format. And, uh, but if we look at those, we start to see patterns. This much is for the mortgage, this much is for car, this much is for utilities, food, and so forth. And here's the, uh, the uh, amount that we gave to the Lord's work. And when we see the, the patterns, we start to see where our priorities emerge. And I believe that our giving and the way that, the way that we spend what we've received from God in our giving is all about spiritual. So I think that this text is appropriate for today. How we handle material things is the basic indicator of how we might handle spiritual things. One thing has to do with the other. Money is a spiritual matter. It always has been, always 
will be for us Christians. So today's passage is from Deuteronomy, the fifth and final book in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, often called the Torah or the books of Moses. Deuteronomy is comprised, the word is comprised of two words, deuteros, which means the number two, and namas, which means law. They are Greek words, hence the Greek title for the Old Testament book in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The book of Deuteronomy records the instructions that God gave Moses for the people who were wandering in the desert. Moses is connecting the instructions for worship from the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers so they will have a foundation when the people possess the land of promise, the land of Canaan filled with milk and honey. The name Deuteronomy literally can be translated second law. And it's not a second set of commandments, but rather it's an emphasis on what the people had already learned. A second way of looking back at what they had been given through Moses at Mount Sinai those years ago. We might say it was a re-emphasis of what God gave to the people. And as we study through Deuteronomy, we will find three Main emphases, law, meaning the commands, the commandments, and how to apply them, some sermons, and some history. There's other, but those are mainly what you will find. Today's passage is sort of like a small sermon with some history, with some action required. So let's take a closer look, and we'll see how we might make some application today. In verse 1, I believe it's most important we understand what God is saying to us here, that God is the source of the land. Let me read verse 1 again. Moses says to the people, see this is toward the end of his life, he would not enter the promised land as you recall. The people would be led by Joshua into Canaan. But he says, when you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits and you will give them. I paraphrase that second part. But verse 1 reminds us the source of the blessing. The Lord your God. The Lord your God gave this blessing of this promised land. The Lord your God has redeemed you from bondage. The Lord your God is leading you. The Lord your God is providing for you. The phrase, the Lord your God, appears 13 unique times in these 11 verses. Moses wants the people to be absolutely sure that the one and only true God is the source of all of the blessings that come from this land, including the land. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. God is the source. Not some pagan God, not some king that granted them a land grant, but rather the one true God has given them this gift. And he says, possess it. And when you have possessed it, This is what I want you to do. And then in verses 2 through 4, Moses emphasizes to the people of of Israel 
that they are to have a pattern of giving as they worship together. Earlier in chapter 18, they were reminded to practice the festival of weeks, also called the festival of first fruits. This would happen every year on an annual basis to celebrate the harvest, probably around June. This time, however, was unique. It was a way to acknowledge God was faithful to them in delivering them from Egypt and giving them this new land, which was filled with milk and honey, meaning all sorts of things, more than you can ever imagine. Take some of the first fruits of your harvest and put them in a basket there, they hear. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose. This is where the tabernacle would be, the tabernacle of the Israelites. You remember, was the portable tent that they carried around as they wandered in the desert, and they would set it up whenever God would tell them to set up camp. And that is the central place where they worshiped. And now in Canaan, that would be where Jerusalem is now. And eventually that would be the temple. And while they were in Canaan, as they began their worship, they were to remember to take the first fruits that they received from their harvest and give a basket of those first fruits to the priest there, and they would be given at the altar. So that's the pattern of worship that was to happen when they received their first harvest. And then verses 5 through 10, Moses says, as you do this, you are to recall your faith story, to tell your faith story from memory. Listen once again, starting at verse 5. Once you have given your basket of first fruits to the priest, and they are placed there at the altar, then you shall declare before the Lord your God, my father was a wandering Aramean, speaking of Jacob, who was a wanderer, as you know. And he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. That's their story. They recall their faith story. They make this confession, acknowledging the true source, the one who has given all gifts, and they give it freely. And I love what happens in verse 10. There's a little phrase there, if you heard me read, verse 10, and now I bring the first fruits of the soil you've given me. And now. As a result of what I have experienced in the past, as a result of your being the source of all things good, now I give the first fruits of it. It's like a therefore. You have done this for us, God. 
Therefore, we now return a portion to you. And it's the first and it's the very best. You have done this. We remember it. Therefore, so we give. A more literal translation of verse 10 would be, so I bring the first fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me. Statement of fact. So, this is what I will do because of what you've done. The message version of the Bible, to paraphrase, says it this way. So here I am. I brought the first fruits of what I've grown on this ground. You gave me, O God. So, a little adverb in the Hebrew, packed with punch. You ever thought about how we use the word so? How you doing today, Pastor Bob? Eh, so-so. Actually, I'm doing really good today, but that's just an example. Please forgive me, right? This meal is just punch. So what? I said to my parents, so didn't go so well either. Friends of Bill, so hungry, so angry, so lonely, so tired. And we halt. Or sometimes we not feeling good and we say, I'm so sick. Whatever I ate last night just didn't set right, you know. So sad. So busy. Sometimes we say, I am so frustrated. Or I am so happy. I am so excited. The word so is used in a lot of different ways. But here it is used as a statement of reason for why we give. Because of God's great goodness to us. He's given instructions, Moses has, to the Hebrew people to remember what God has done and then to respond with their offerings. Remember and respond. Remember, respond. Remember, respond. That's exactly what the pattern we see in Deuteronomy verses 26, verses 1 through 11. Those who inherited this land were commanded to remember the Lord their God, who is responsible for every acre of it and for all of its produce. And they were to give the first and the best. It's kind of like when you have that very first ripe tomato in your garden, and you've been watching it, and you have been yelling at the squirrels to stay away from it, And then when it's ready, you go and pick that very first beautiful tomato. Here it is. This is what we give to the Lord. I remember a few years ago, I tried to grow eggplants. I'd never grown them before in my garden. And I got lucky and had some beautiful eggplants, wonderfully purple. And as I picked the first ones, I remembered one of our church members who loves eggplants. And I brought it to him, and I said, this is 
from my garden. I never grew them before, and I wanted you to have them. It made me joyful in him too. Same with our giving. Here the Bible speaks of first fruits, the first and the best. In other places, the Bible speaks of the tithe, T-I-T-H-E, or the tenth, giving the first of the ten percent of our labors to the Lord and God enabling or uh, giving us the other 90% to live. When we do that, we feel like we put God first and it helps us to be better stewards in other areas of our lives. And this principle is not limited to our money or finances. It crosses over to our time and our talents and abilities and so forth. So the question is then, today on this first Sunday of Lent, this season of spiritual reflection and renewal as we journey to the cross and Easter, is what to give for Lent. A lot of us will say, well, I'm going to give up something. I'm going to give up chocolate, or I've done that before. It doesn't work very well. Give up caffeine or coffee or social media and so forth. You can think of things you've done. This Lenten season, rather than asking us to give up something or not do something, I'm asking the question, what to give? How, how can we consider our gifts to the Lord? How can we strengthen our financial giving to the Lord's work? Maybe you're already a, a tither and you're giving 10%. Perhaps during the season of Lent, these next 40 days, you, you might look at how you could give 12 or 15 or even 20%, live on 80 and give the 20 to the Lord during this season. Or maybe if you're just starting out in giving and you might say, Pastor Bob, I'm not even anywhere yet, maybe it will be to give it a start. And during this Lenten season, to make it a regular practice to give some percentage consistently to the Lord's work. What about our time? How can we look at where we are and be seeing where we can be and how we can give of ourselves as a commitment to the Lord's work here in the church or share our unique talents and our abilities in some way? I don't know what that is for you, but I pray that we would all reflect upon this question as we journey through the Lenten season. There are two actions as we take steps forward. One, in the pattern of the Hebrew people in Deuteronomy 26, we remember God's faithfulness. We remember God's faithfulness as Christians. Not only the Old Testament story, but the story of Jesus, which is our story. May we remember the story of his birth, his ministry, his persecution and arrest, his unfair sentence, his having been crucified, dead and buried, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to the Father, his return as spirit, birthing the church, present with us for all eternity. I am with you always till the end of the age, Jesus said. We remember his faithfulness in the story of Christ, which is our story. And some of you some of you may come from traditions where you learned 
Uh, the, the Apostles' Creed, I remember learning that in the Presbyterian Church where I went as a child. And while Baptists are typically not ones who recite creeds or require them to become a member of the church, we are a confessional people. We confess Jesus as Lord. We confess our story of faith. Perhaps we could look at the Apostles' Creed as a confessional that we might share without coercion. And that would be our confession of story, of faith, that acknowledges the goodness and the faithfulness of God who is the source of all our blessings. Maybe we would say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into the dead, and on the third day he rose again and ascended to heaven and was seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and will come again to judge the living and the dead. Some say the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. I remember the story of Jesus, the one who died for me. And not only do I remember that story, which is my story, but then number two, I respond with obedience. And one of the ways that we are called to respond is through our gifts, giving God the first and the best of what he's given to us. That is, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, that God loves a cheerful giver. That giving brings joy to our hearts. And the words of Jesus would guide our response. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Remember and respond. Remember and respond. Remember and respond. Today we remember Jesus' finished work on the cross for our sins, and we respond through taking of the bread and the cup. I'm going to invite Nancy.